Again, unusual circumstances. This is not ideal. Uh, Every week that goes by, of course, the pastoral staff, the elders, are very eager for us to be able to gather together again as we normally do. Uh, But we hope in the time that we have to wait that these live stream videos will, um, will in some way bridge that gap and keep us connected, if even in a very small way. Before we start in on our, our Bible study this morning, uh, let me just mention, if, uh, if you were paying attention to the announcements that were going on the screen just a few minutes before uh, the camera turned on me, just wanted to mention that if you check back to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash ebcga, this evening and then uh, tomorrow morning through... Passion Week, today is Palm Sunday all the way to Good Friday, Uh, we're going to be posting maybe three-minute devotional videos from various members of the staff and elders, uh, just a way to help turn our minds uh, periodically through the week towards the significant things that happened in the last days before uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. So we hope you'll find that encouraging. Uh, Because they're brief, it might even be a good opportunity for you if you have kids or uh, extended family uh, with you in the house, uh, even to gather them around uh, to be able to hear the the word read. Uh, Maybe you uh, continue on with the discussion after that. But anyway, just wanted to make you aware of the fact that we've got some other videos that are coming uh, through the week, and so would encourage you to check back. We are in 2 Samuel 22 this morning and rapidly coming towards the end of our study in this book. Uh, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and then we'll start in. We'll just sort of hit the ground running with the text that we have before us this morning. So pray with me if you would. Father, we ask now that in the midst of uh, uncertainty and um, discomfort that you would give us a mind and a heart of wisdom, as your word tells us in the Psalms, that we would number our days, that we would know how how frail we are, and that in doing so, even as we see in this passage here, our minds and our eyes would be turned to you to find our strength and our support. Thank you for the goodness of your word and how it provides us a firm foundation to stand on as your spirit increases our faith. Uh, We ask that your spirit would have his way in our hearts and our minds, that we would continue to be joined together even as we are separated. Thank you for the kindness that has been given to us because of the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel 22, we had mentioned last week when we were looking at 2 Samuel 21 that what we have entered into is this closing unit to 2 Samuel, and that when you look at the way that chapters 21 through 24 are put together, there appears to be a very intentional design. There's a pattern that emerges that shows us that these are not just uh, sort of random, uh, random filler that the author throws in at the end just to close out the book, but that there is Um, a method that he is employing to try to communicate certain key truths as the story of David begins to wind to a close. Uh, Starting in chapter 21, we notice that the the pattern that emerges, you have a, a national disaster followed by a discussion of David and his military men 
followed by the passage that we have today, which is a poem, a song. The chapter next week picks up that pattern in reverse. We start off with a poem and a song. We move into a discussion of David and his military men, and we end on a national disaster. So because of that pattern, there seems to be uh, an, an intention that the author has. He is purposely trying to communicate certain things to us, and because that is intentionally designed that way, we want to take special note of the fact that at the heart of this closing unit are two songs, the first of which we have here this morning in 2 Samuel 22. The second song is 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 7. And so in many ways, the closing unit of 2 Samuel finds its heart in these two psalms that you have. Uh, this psalm that we have this morning is, uh, is lengthy, probably the longest psalm that David wrote. Uh, you find almost verbatim this same song in Psalm 18. Uh, so because of the length of it, I'm not going to read every verse that we have here. I'm going to start off by reading the, the opening intro and then uh, we will basically kind of work through some of the high points or maybe a, a few things that we want to point out working our way to the end of the psalm. So 2 Samuel 22, verse 1. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. These introductory verses sort of set the tone for uh, what's to come in the rest of the song here. Let me just point out a couple things. One, because this psalm is at the heart of this closing unit. One of the things that we need to say right up front is that the, the way that this uh, chapter functions in 2 Samuel is that in many ways it provides us a lens through which we look back on everything that we've read about David as far back as 1 Samuel into 2 Samuel. It gives us a lens to read that story and to say, how should I think about all of the things that I have read that, I've been, that have been made known to me now that we're coming to the end of the story. And so uniquely then, or we might say very interestingly, what this psalm does as it closes out David's life and David's story is that rather than presenting David as this untouchable, um, unbeatable king, it presents David ultimately as someone who cries out for God's salvation, someone who is very much in need of deliverance himself. And so all of this psalm goes to say effectively that when you look at David's life, when you review the story of First and Second Samuel and everything that has happened up through the reign of David, when you consider the life of Israel's greatest king, what you ought to make sure you keep at the forefront of your mind is that the success, the victory, the security, to whatever shape or form, David enjoyed that. He enjoyed those things, not because it was something that he created for himself, but because he was 
a recipient of God's grace and mercy. In fact, it's interesting, um, one of the things that happens here is that you have sort of a, uh, a diminishing of David and a raising up or an exalting of the Lord. So all the way back at the very beginning in 1 first, in first Samuel chapter 2, when Hannah is giving her song of praise at the very beginning of the storyline, she talks about the fact that the Lord is going to exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, that's a way of saying he's going to exalt or make the strength of his anointed one great. Whereas here, David says very clearly that his strength is the Lord himself. David is not self-sufficient. David is not the strength of the nation. The Lord is the one who makes David sufficient. The Lord is the one who makes himself the strength of the nation. Also, we might want to consider that as we go through this psalm, which we'll turn to in just a minute to look at some of the details, that not only does uh, the psalm clue us in very quickly to the fact that we need to be mindful of the fact that David and his success are a credit to God's faithfulness and God's saving work, the pattern by which David experienced that saving work is through call and response. David in verse four says that I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. That is one of the most simple and profound statements of faith that Israel has in the Old Testament. That because of her covenant relationship with the Lord, she calls in her time of need and the Lord hears. And because the Lord hears, he answers. So look at the way that David describes the situation in which he calls for help. If you look at verse five, uh, verses five through seven, the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me, the cords of shale or the cords of the dead surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. And then notice verse seven, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God and from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help came into his ears. This is not the picture of a self-sufficient, strong man. This is someone who is in dire need of help. And so David, at the end of his career, we're being invited to view not as this uh, untouchable king, not as someone who is more than capable to meet any threat that comes upon him, but David is being presented as this helpless man who calls and cries out to the Lord because life is too big for him, because his enemies are too strong for him. And because he calls and cries out to the Lord, the Lord hears and the Lord answers. Notice though, as you go into the Lord's response that starts in verse eight, the almost over the top way that David describes the Lord's salvation. So David in verse seven cries to the Lord and the Lord hears him. And David goes on to say, verse eight, then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens and came down with thick darkness under his feet and on and on and on. This description runs all the way through verse 20. 
one of the things we might say is, is that it's interesting to note that David as an individual is the one who is crying out to the Lord. This is, is not first and foremost a cry by the nation. It's not a cry by thousands of people. It's one man that is crying out. And look at the response. One man calls out to the Lord for help and salvation. And the Lord in his response, we might say, moves heaven and earth, shakes the very foundations of creation to intervene on David's behalf to save him and to deal with his enemies. In fact, as you go through verses 8 through 20, one of the things that several, uh, several commentators have noticed is that much of the language that you have here is very similar to the language that was used in Exodus when the Lord descends on Sinai and reveals himself as this mighty, holy, majestic God. So language like the earth shook and quaked. The ground shook when the Lord descended at Sinai on the mountain. The fire in verse 9, the thick darkness in verse 10. In verse 14, the Lord thundering from heaven. Verse 15, the lightning. All of those signs were signs of God's awesome power being displayed to the nation of Israel as he entered into covenant relationship with them. And that same awesome power that God revealed to a nation to thousands upon thousands of people, that same power is being harnessed for the sake of one man, David. David is in desperate need, and the Lord does not consider David to be too small or too insignificant. Rather, he hears the cry, and because David has a unique relationship with the Lord, the Lord uses his power to the utmost to deliver him. Notice though, as we move into the next little section of the Psalm, notice why it is that David says the Lord moved in this powerful, dramatic way to save him. Down in verse 20, after describing the Lord's response to his cries for help, David says that the Lord brought me forth into a broad place he rescued me because he delighted in me. That's, and then verses 21 through 25, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this and see if these statements strike you. David says, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed or he has repaid me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed or has repaid me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes." That is a strong, strong statement coming from David. David, in other words, indicates that the reason that the Lord saved him was because David was a righteous man. Let me pause right here. This is, this is worth spending some time on before we look at anything else in the psalm because some people think that these verses here, 21 through 25 or even 21 through 28, may be the actual heart of this song. 
there are two or three things that we wanna say about what David says here. First and foremost, don't try to water down what David says. Yes, we wanna keep David's statements about his righteousness, about his blamelessness within the broader context of scripture. David is not suggesting that he is perfect or that he is without sin. Rather, I think what David means when he says that he has been rewarded according to his righteousness, that he has been blameless and the Lord has saved him because of that, is that so far as David's covenant obligations are concerned, David has kept those obligations. He has, he has obeyed the law of the Lord. Part of that obedience to the law of the Lord obviously meant that when David did sin, he would offer the requisite sacrifices and offerings. So it's not saying that David has no sin, and because David has no sin, the Lord saves him. Rather, that David has conscientiously, consistently pursued a right standing with the Lord according to what the Lord has revealed in his word. Because of that then, David as the nation's example, as the nation's representative, holds up in this psalm and the author of 2 Samuel is holding up before us as we come to the close of David's career, one important fact, which is obedience to the law of the Lord is important. We might say it this way, in Psalm 19, David, after remarking on the perfection and the beauty and the delight that he finds in the law of the Lord, goes on to describe it as pleasing to taste, as more valuable than gold. And he says, moreover, by your commandments, your servant is warned in keeping them, there is great reward. There is a reward for God's people when they are obedient. David remaining faithful to the covenant that God has provided him is the basis on which God shows himself to be faithful to David. This carries on not just in the Old Testament, but actually this same idea carries on into the New Testament as well. Jesus himself, for example, in John 14, says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And later on in that same chapter, Jesus goes to show what one of the greatest rewards of obedience is. He says, the one who loves me keeps my commandments and my father will love him and we will come and we will make our dwelling with him. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, as we walk in obedience, as his disciples hear and respond to the words of Christ, what we get in reward is fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. We get to commune with God in a way that would not be available to us apart from faithful obedience. Later on, first in 1 John, John will say to his audience that if we ask anything in his name, he hears us because we keep his commandments. So we want to say very quickly then that this emphasis on obedience is not just something for the Old Testament. It is for the New Testament people of God as well. Obedience to the commands of Christ, obedience to the commands of Scripture is not something for a bygone era. It is not something that was to be stressed or emphasized for the old covenant people, but rather the new covenant people, Edgewood, us, 
we are to put a high priority on faithful obedience to the word of the Lord. That being said, here's where a little bit of the disconnect and I think some of the brilliance of this Psalm comes in in terms of its placement in 2 Samuel. Remember, this Psalm starts off with a statement in verse one that this is the song that David sang when the Lord delivered him from all his enemies and from the hands of Saul. In other words, David apparently pens this Psalm shortly after becoming king or as a reflection on his early years, how the Lord saved him and delivered him as a fugitive, as an alien on the run, and then brought him into a secure place and made him king. Just to cut to the chase, the, the point is, is that these statements about the Lord rewarding David for his righteousness and for his blamelessness obviously came many years before David's adultery with Bathsheba, before David's murder of Uriah, before all of the chaos and the carnage, the passivity that David exhibited in dealing with the sins of his own household. And yet this is the psalm that the author of 2 Samuel chose to put at the end of David's story to provide us a lens through which to see all of David's life, all of David's rule and reign. I think the reason that this is done is very profound. On the one hand, what we draw from verses like 21 through 25 is that the Lord rewards the obedience of his people, that we should not take obedience as an elective option. On the other hand, because we know that David was not always blameless, that David was guilty of heinous sins, and yet the Lord did not allow any rebellion to remove him from the throne. The Lord did not allow any of David's enemies to destroy him. We have to conclude that while God motivates, encourages his people to be obedient, that ultimately at the end of the day, it's not the obedience of his people that determine whether or not the Lord will be gracious. That's tremendous encouragement and tremendous hope. By all means, strive for obedience. Peter says, as obedient children, no longer should we be conformed to the lusts that were ours in ignorance. But as the Holy One who calls us, you shall be holy, for he is holy. Nevertheless, don't put yourself in a position where you begin to think, that the Lord's kindness to you and the Lord's favor, the Lord's saving hand is given to you only insofar as you are obedient, only insofar as you are right in your behavior, in your performance. As Paul will say later in the New Testament, even when we are unfaithful, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's in the very character of God to maintain relationship with his people. And so David gives us both in the best ways and in the worst ways, gives us an example of how on the one hand, sin is never to be excused. God always finds pleasure and delight in the obedience of his children. And yet at the same time, God never abandons us when we do disobey. 
as David goes on, he returns to a description of how the Lord has intervened for him, how the Lord has saved him in verses 29 and following. He talks about the Lord's way being blameless, that the word of the Lord is tested and true, that because of the Lord's faithfulness, he has equipped David and made him capable of scaling walls, of bending a bow, of uh, being victorious over his enemies. For the sake of time, I'm gonna skip down towards the latter part of this song and pay attention to the, to the closing verses. Pick up with me in verse 47. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. And then pay attention to the last two verses. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. The Lord is a tower of deliverance or a tower of salvation to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Two things I wanna point out here. One it's interesting that verse 50, therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. That verse is quoted by Paul in Romans 15. I believe it's verse nine. And in that verse, in that quote, David, or I'm sorry, Paul takes that statement by David and applies it to Christ. In Romans 15, I'm gonna pick up at verse eight. Paul says, for I say that Christ, the Messiah, has become a servant to the circumcision, that is to Israel, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And then here it is. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. In other words, what Paul does, Paul sees this passage, Psalm 22, or Psalm 18, I should say, 2 Samuel 22, he sees the ultimate fulfillment of the Lord's faithfulness, of the Lord's power, of the Lord's goodness to his anointed king, not being fulfilled by David, but ultimately being fulfilled by David's greater son, Jesus Christ. That what David experiences in some small way, victory over his enemies and even victory over his foreign enemies, whether it be Philistines or Moabites or anyone else, Jesus experiences in his victories over death and the grave and sin. Not only will Israel, but all nations of the earth will recognize the Lord's hand in raising up and securing his king, Jesus Christ. And then following on that, verse 51 he is a tower, the Lord is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Ultimately, what this psalm points to is that the loving kindness, the faithfulness of the Lord, the Lord's kindness to hear the cries of his people and especially to hear the cries of his anointed king will continue for generation to generation to generation. 
And here again, because Paul sees verse 50 as pointing ultimately to Christ, we ought to consider then that verse 51 also should be read in some way as casting a shadow forward to Christ. In other words, the Lord shows himself to be a tower of salvation to his Messiah, Jesus Christ. That because of the Lord's loving kindness, because of the perfect obedience of Christ, if David can say that he was righteous and blameless, how much more can the Son say that in absolute truth? And because the Lord delighted, the Father delighted in the Son, therefore he saved him and delivered him, even when the Son obediently, perfectly gives himself over to death, the Father sees to it that he raises his Son back up to life seats him on his throne and gives him all rule, all power and all authority over all nations and all people for ages to come. So at the end of the day, what this song does is it draws our attention not from David, but ultimately to the Lord. The Lord is the one through whose faithfulness and mercy and kindness, all of the good blessings of God are brought to his people. It's the faithfulness and the kindness of the Lord that see to it that his Messiah, his anointed king will certainly be victorious and effective. And we celebrate that in a very new and unique way in the victory and success of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Appropriate then that we look at this as on Palm Sunday as Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem to present himself as the heir to the Davidic throne. And as we prepare ourselves for Good Friday, for the suffering death that Jesus encounters because of his perfect obedience, and then ultimately the resurrection and the rule and eternal reign of Christ because the Father would not allow his anointed to suffer decay. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the encouragement Actually, we thank you for the necessary reminder that no matter what success we find, no matter what victories your people gain, that we are to see over and over and over again that all of these things are nothing less than the hand of God working on our behalf. Father, would you give us humility? Would you give us eyes to be able to see your work on our behalf? When we can't make sense of that work, would you give us the grace to be able to trust you and to be able to continue to walk by faith and not by sight? Ultimately, Father, we thank you that the faithfulness that you showed to David is the faithfulness that you showed and used to bring vindication to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of his rule and reign over his people and over his enemies, we have ultimate hope both now and in the age to come. We thank you and we praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we say this, amen. We thank you, Jonathan, for that a wonderful Sunday school lesson. What a great reminder uh, through David's life of the unfailing uh, loving kindness of God and that he is responsive to the uh, cries of his uh, people. And uh, I like the phrase Jonathan used near the beginning, uh, that when God hears the cries of his people, he moves heaven and earth 
to be responsive uh, to them. And uh, again, just what wonderful assurance, especially in the days we're facing uh, as a nation today with the uh, coronavirus and all the uh, concerns related to the disease and uh, finances. And, uh, and so thank you, Jonathan, for that um, wonderful uh, lesson. Let me just remind you of uh, several uh, announcements that would be important before Andy comes to lead us in our praise and worship. Uh, just keep in mind, as long as uh, we're not able to meet together as a church family, uh, we'll be doing this live stream of our worship service uh, every Sunday morning at 1030 with the uh, Sunday School lesson at 10 o'clock. And then keep in mind, Jonathan Wilson, our uh, youth minister, is providing every week uh, a program for both, of our, for both our children and our young people. The uh, children's program is Adventures in Praiseville, and then the uh, uh, youth uh, program is uh, Level Up Bible Study. And then also, Jonathan and some of the youth leaders are providing a daily devotional uh, for our uh, youth and children and their families, and you could take advantage uh, of that. Uh, if you were at the very beginning of Jonathan's Sunday School lesson, he mentioned this being Passion Week begins today with uh, Palm Sunday, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, staff and elders, uh, beginning today, uh, the first one will be on Facebook uh, by tonight, uh, just little devotionals on the Passion Week to walk us through uh, this last week of uh, Christ's uh, life. And that will be uh, Sunday all the way through Friday. Friday, of course, closing out with the crucifixion of Jesus. So again, that will be on Facebook each day and you could take advantage of that. And then, of course, next Sunday is uh, Easter Sunday. And I'd like to do something uh, special uh, those of you that have been a part of the Edgewood family, uh, you all know that uh, the most special services that we have are our Lord's Supper services, which we typically do the first Sunday of every month. And uh, that's one of the biggest things I've missed is uh, not being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, together. But we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the uh, live stream next uh, Sunday morning. And uh, you just need to have a piece of bread or cracker in your home. Even if you don't have grape juice, uh, you can use any kind of juice. You can use water if you have to. I believe Jesus will understand uh, under these circumstances. But as I come out of my message tomorrow, uh, I mean next Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I trust that will be very, very meaningful for all of us. And then just another reminder uh, to uh, please be faithful in your uh, giving uh, through these days as we cannot meet together. And, of course, you can mail your gifts in. You can uh, drop them by the church office. Or you can use the online giving, which you'll find right on the homepage of our website, top right-hand uh, corner. And then I want to uh, make the church family aware uh, that uh, Al Worthington is very, very uh, low right now in terms of his uh, health. Uh, I don't know how many of you know Al and Sarah Worthington. Uh, uh, Sarah, one of the charter members of our church. Al, one of the great leaders in our church history. Uh, served as an elder for many, many, many years. Just a precious, precious man of God. But he is at home, and he is now under hospice care. So, uh, and very, very low. So just want to pray for uh, Al and Sarah 
and the entire family that they'll know God's comfort and grace. And then, of course, we want to continue to pray. We know that these next, especially two weeks, are going to be very, very difficult days for our uh, nation in light of the uh, coronavirus and the lives that are being uh, stricken, the lives that are being taken. And we want to continue to pray for those who have lost loved ones. We want to continue to pray, especially for our health workers uh, that are putting themselves in harm's way to uh, minister uh, to those folks that are sick. And of course, we want to continue to pray for uh, our uh, Trump administration, that God to give them wisdom, guidance, and understanding how to address this crisis and meet the needs of the nation as well as our state and uh, local folks. So uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, just right there uh, in your home, bedroom, living room, wherever you're watching this, if you would just get on your knees right now, I'm going to get on my knees, and I think it would be very appropriate uh, in this time of crisis to get on our knees just as an expression I trust of the humility and that we know in our hearts towards God acknowledging our total dependence upon him in these days and trusting as we cry out to him as Jonathan mentioned to know his loving kindness and to know his mercy so uh, let me pray Father, we do uh, cry out to you for a mercy uh, on our country as well as the countries of the world. I believe 151 uh, nations throughout the world have been stricken by this disease. Uh, Father, we pray in your infinite mercy uh, that this uh, disease would be mitigated. Uh, we pray the spread would uh, stop and this scourge upon our nation and the nations of the world uh, would end. And we have uh, just the basis of your mercy uh, to fall on, and we trust in your kindness you would hear our prayers and answer them. Uh, we pray as only you can do uh, to step right in the midst of a time of crisis like this, uh, not only to strengthen your people and provide us a platform to express our faith uh, to the unbelieving community, that you would use this crisis as well uh, to get the attention of unbelievers around the world, in our nation, in our community, uh, that they would be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ and they would come to know his unfailing love uh, through forgiveness in Jesus as they put their faith in what Christ did for them through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Father, we do pray for those families that have suffered the loss of loved ones. Oh, God, uh, give them your comfort. Come along their side. Minister your grace to each and every one. Father, we pray your uh, blessing upon all of our health care workers. Uh, Father, what courage they have demonstrated. And uh, we pray as they continually put themselves in harm's way, you would shield them and protect them and use them as ministers of good. Uh, to see people touched physically and raised up and be restored uh, to health. Uh, Father, we pray for uh, the Trump administration, for uh, the state governors, for the uh, local governments, 
that you'd provide wisdom, uh, you'd provide understanding to uh, meet this challenge. You'd make every provision and all that is needed as well. Uh, we think of the economic crisis that this has created, and many, many, many in our nation, uh, even in our church family, uh, really struggling financially right now. And we pray in your, uh, again, grace and mercy, you would meet their every need according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, Father, we do pray for Al and Sarah. Lord, how we love them. Uh, they've been such precious members of this church for so many, many years. Thank you for uh, both of their service to this church in so many different capacities. We think of Al as an elder for so many years, uh, such a loving man, such a... Uh, when I think of Al, I think of just a peacemaker. He was just a wonderful diplomat that desired to see the, Christ, the church family know unity and harmony. And so, Lord, we just surrender him into your loving care, him and Sarah, and uh, let them know your presence uh, even in the midst of this uh, uh, crisis, health crisis for them. And, uh, Lord, we uh, just again pray thy will uh, be done. Uh, so, Lord, bless us now as we uh, continue uh, through the uh, service, as we have a time of praise and worship, and then we enter the time of message. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, things are going to look a little bit different this morning. Um, and Terry just spoke with me. He's the cameraman, and he said, well, they're not going to be able to see you. And I said, well, that's probably good because we'll get uh, more viewers uh, that way. So, um, but I, in light of the governor and what he says uh, about shelter in place, I just uh, called the band members and said, I think it's best that uh, you guys just stay home. Don't want anybody getting sick. Uh, and so um, a little bit different this morning. Uh, you're going to see how much you really miss uh, the band this morning uh, as I uh, just kind of do solo. Um, but do invite you to stand in your homes, uh, however you, you need to worship. Stand, sit, be on your knees, uh, however you, uh, you best worship uh, in the comfort of your home. Um, and as we think about Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, I thought it would be appropriate that we sing a great song entitled Hosanna. Um, and over 2,000 years ago, that's what uh, the people of Jerusalem cried out. They sang, they sang Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you think about the word Hosanna, what does that mean? It simply means to give praise, adoration, uh, joy to our Father. And we simply today uh, need to just give him praise, joy, adoration. In the midst of anything that's going on, we can always find something good to praise him for. Amen? So let's, let's all uh, rejoice together. Hosanna. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hey, man, let that be a prayer this morning. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. We long for strength to face the day in your presence all our fears are washed away they're washed away Hosanna Hosanna you are the God who saves us you're worthy of all 
come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hear the sound. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to And lives are made new. You make us new. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. saves us. You're worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. Let's proclaim it in your presence. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. Hosanna. of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. We're going to continue to sing about His grace. is so needed in a time like this. Amen. Let's sing it. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy and nothing can keep us apart so remember your people remember your children remember your promise oh God let's sing it out Your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God. 
you use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing alone. Let's sing it out in your homes there. And so remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, O oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Would you sing that again? Yeah, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, O oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Yeah, your grace is enough. Heaven reaching down to us. Your grace is enough for me. God, I sing your grace is enough. I'm covered in your love. Your grace is enough for me. Father this morning, a wonderful song entitled Forever Rain. We sing, you are good. You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope you are hope, you have covered all my sin. We sing, you are peace, and he sure is in a time like this. Peace, you are peace, when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wondering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life. In you, death has lost its sting. Oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. 
sing it out. You are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord. All creation will proclaim you are here, you are here. In your presence I'm made whole. You are God, you are God. Of all else I'm letting go. Nothing compares to your embrace, o light of the world forever reign. Now sing it again. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace, light of the My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. Just sing it out. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus. I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world forever reign, I'm running to Light of the world forever reign. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, thank you, Andy, uh, for leading us in that uh, praise and uh, worship. And you can see our message is going to be a little bit uh, uh, different uh, today. Um, I noticed uh, Andy Johnson has already sabotaged my uh, set with this uh, uh, Georgia thing. That was cute, Andy. I appreciate that greatly, but that's all right. Uh, uh, I would t this morning, I simply want to share with you a very uh, simple, but I think powerful illustration 
of a uh, uh, truth uh, that will beautifully complement uh, the previous two messages. You remember two Sundays ago, we talked about in this time of national crisis, how to move from fear to faith. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about how to conquer uh, worry. And uh, today, I want to put the focus on Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29, uh, that simply says, and we know. And the sense of that is we know with confidence, with absolute certainty as God's children, that God causes all things to work together for good, to the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, because those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, God is that master chef that knows how to uh, blend the all things of life, uh, good and bad, tasteful and untasteful, and uh, eventually uh, uh, produce something that is good, that is uh, great. And we've emphasized that the last two weeks, uh, the important not to uh, close the book on God uh, too quickly, uh, that if in faith uh, we will persevere and allow God to finish our life story, it will always have a good end, a good outcome uh, for our spiritual benefit and God's uh, greater uh, glory. So today, we want to literally uh, bake a cake. I appreciate uh, uh, Jonathan and uh, Malia Wilson loaning us their oven. That was very nice of them. Appreciate that. A uh, little small for uh, parents with six children. I don't know how they do it, but uh, we appreciate their kindness in providing that for us. And uh, you may not know, uh, you just recently found out about my prowess on the basketball court. Uh, and those of you in the Edgewood family know what uh, I'm talking about. You may not know that I'm also a master chef, and you'll be able to see my abilities this day. And uh, as a master chef, I have my apprentice, and I want to introduce my apprentice that will be my assistant today, and that's my youngest daughter, Carissa. Would, Carissa, would you please come and uh, assist me in this? I call Carissa the food artist. Uh, she has an amazing ability when she's making her meals or her sandwiches. She just doesn't do it, boy. She puts it on display. You do a good job, so it's a joy to be uh, let you assist me in this. Now, th now, what I want you to see is how many really yucky things go into making a very delicious cake. In other words, if you were to eat that uh, item or substance in and of itself, it would be yucky. Uh, it would not be pleasant. It's not something we would just uh, ordinarily do. Uh, but although it's yucky, uh, for the cake recipe, uh, it's necessary, and we're go hopefully going to be able to see God's ability uh, to blend the all things together in our lives, even those yucky things, uh, to eventually make something that's very, 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 very good. So we're just going to uh, follow uh, my recipe, Carissa, uh, and so uh, when I ask for the various items, you just uh, give them to me, and I would appreciate that. And we'll get this cake mixed up, and then we'll get it in the, uh, we'll get in the, in the oven. And before we uh, conclude today, we'll have the opportunity to uh, 
I trust have us a beautiful, great tasting cake. Just sorry that you won't have the opportunity to take advantage of it. Um, but uh, my recipe, Krissa, uh, calls first for two cups of flour. Can you give me the flour? Thank you very, very much. And um, I don't think anybody would like to uh, try to put down uh, in and of itself uh, two cups of flour. That would not be very, very uh, pleasant, but that's an important part of the uh, uh, recipe. Uh, the flour uh, provides the ability, the other items sort of to adhere together and to provide a uh, smooth uh, texture. And uh, sort of like God's grace in our lives, it's, uh, again, able to bring all those things together as God's blending them together. And then uh, we have uh, two cups of sugar. So can you provide me the sugar? Now, aren't you thankful that everything in life is not yucky? Uh, there are a lot of sweet things in life, sweet experiences in life, pleasant experiences in life. So although, yes, there is adversity, there's difficulty, there's pain, there's crisis, we're so thankful that God gives us moments of great joy, uh, great happiness, great levity, uh, where uh, uh, it, it's just good times, and, uh, and you're sort of on the happy side of life. So God is very faithful in, uh, in uh, doing that, but at the same time, I don't know that you would want to down two cups of sugar all at one time. Uh, too much of a good thing can be very harmful uh, to us. I think we would all admit... Uh, that the greatest challenge in life typically is not uh, handling pain and adversity, but uh, times of extended pleasure and prosperity. That is what brings most people uh, down. And then, uh, Chris, uh, let's see, we have a fourth a cup of cocoa right there. Thank you very much. You're doing wonderful. I appreciate that. Great job. I like your bling, too. Chris is a bling person. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I would see my mother baking with cocoa and producing such uh, wonderful cookies and cakes and other things. And as a little kid, I just thought, this stuff must be incredibly delicious. And I'll never forget um, uh, taking a spoon and uh, dipping it in uh, the uh, uh, cocoa and uh, putting that in my mouth, and I found out this stuff is yucky. Uh, necessary, but it's yucky. Uh, in and of itself, it has a very bitter taste. And uh, much of life uh, that we experience on planet Earth, as we've talked about the last two weeks, living in a fallen world uh, where there are natural disasters, there is famine, there's injustice, uh, suffering, disease, yes, even death. Uh, that's reality of living in a fallen world. We will never escape that. Uh, until God gives us a new heaven and a new earth. And God in His sovereignty has determined believers will not be immune uh, from the uh, consequences of the fall. But as we're going to see for the believer, He gives the guarantee those things will not be destructive to us, but He will actually use those things to build our faith and our intimacy with Him. But again, although yucky in and of itself, it is necessary for the uh, recipe. And then a uh, stick of butter. Do we have the butter, Krissa? Can you give me the butter? No, I think it's right there. That stick of butter right there. Now, I don't think anybody wants to, in and of itself, to down this stick of butter. Uh, that would be rather uh, uh, yucky. Again, uh, this to show you the precocious child I was. Again, as a little child, I'll never forget 
I think I was a preschooler, probably three, four years old. I saw a stick of butter there on the table. And to me, it looked like vanilla pudding. And I thought, man, that probably is going to taste good. And I took off, bit off, put that in my mouth. And I found out very quickly it was not vanilla pudding. Uh, so although uh, spread on things lightly, it, uh, it helps. But uh, you just take this and eat it whole, yucky, but necessary for the, uh, for the recipe. So we want to get that in there. And then uh, we have uh, a cup of water, Chris, a cup of water. That red cup, I think, has the water for us. Thank you. And uh, aren't you uh, thankful that God is faithful to provide for us uh, all that's uh, necessary in life? And to me, that's what the water represents. We do have our basic needs in life. And God has promised, uh, according to His riches and glory, that He will meet our basic needs in order that we might accomplish our God-given uh, plan. So, uh, uh, yes, water is uh, wonderful, especially when you thirst, and it's necessary to, uh, to live and to uh, know God's uh, uh, continued blessing, at least on this side of eternity, and we're so appreciative that He's faithful to give us everything that we need in life. And then, Chris, let's see, we have a half a cup of oil half a cup of oil. Now, would anybody like to just uh, down about a half a cup of oil? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, uh, it's uh, going to be somewhat yucky if you uh, try to drink it. In that you might want to grease down your pipes. I don't know if you're having problems there. But, uh, but it's yucky, but it's necessary for this recipe. So we need to get that in there as well. And then let's see, Chris, uh, uh, my recipe then has a half a cup of uh, sour milk buttermilk. Now, I know some people like this stuff. My mother liked this stuff, and I don't understand that at all. Uh, I'd much rather have sweet milk than uh, sour milk, but I think the lesson for us, there are many experiences in our life uh, that, that are sour um, and, uh, and uh, not very sweet and can be very, very painful but again, that is part of this recipe. From my perspective, yucky, but it is necessary. Again, not something I would drink on my own, but it is necessary for this uh, recipe and to create in the end uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, cake. Okay, let's see what we have now, Chris. Uh, we have a teaspoon of soda. Here's the soda. And again, I don't think anybody... Uh, wants to uh, down this in and of uh, itself. Uh, this is very uh, bitter. It is very uh, uh, salty. And of course, uh, there's so much in life, reality, that, uh, that is bitter, uh, that stings our lives, that, uh, that hurts our lives. And uh, that is a reality, again, of the world in which we live. So again, although yucky, it is absolutely necessary uh, for the uh, recipe. And then let's see, Krissa, uh, you doing okay? Am I doing okay? Yes. Okay, thank you very much. I, like, I need that affirmation. We got two eggs. We got two eggs. Thank you. Can I crack these on your head? No. No, okay, okay. I won't do that. I'll be kind to you. Put these two eggs in there. Now, again, I don't want to eat raw eggs. 
I don't know about you, the only people I ever knew that ate raw eggs, Rocky, of course, if you've ever seen that scene in the first Rocky movie, and also my father. My father was actually the champion of his squadron. They had a contest. Dad was Air Force, and his squadron had a contest and who could eat the most raw eggs. And my dad won that contest. And uh, I remember on one occasion, uh, after he had done that, thinking, well, I wonder what that would be like. And I began to try a raw egg. But folks, you, these things are slimy, very rubbery, and just ugh, for me. So from my perspective, and I trust your perspective, um, yucky, 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 but necessary. So again, you're noticing there are so many things that go into this recipe that if you were just to eat them alone or drink them alone, it would be so yucky. It'd be miserable, but you blend these things together and it produces a, a wonderful tasting uh, cake. And then let's see, Krista, we have uh, one last ingredient and that's the vanilla. Now, the vanilla, vanilla extract, I think uh, most of you... Uh, uh, know exactly what I mean. How can something that smells so good taste so very, very bad? Again, going to back my early childhood, uh, I would watch my mother cook with this stuff. I would smell this stuff, and it, it's just heavenly, the smell of it. And, uh, and one day I thought, hey, I'll take a try of that. And when my mother wasn't looking, I got out the battle and did the cap, and dried it down a little bit, and folks, it has a kick, and you probably know why. Uh, vanilla extract uh, uh, has a minimum of 35% alcohol. You can get drunk on this stuff, and uh, so, so it bites uh, if you try to taste it. So again, uh, not something we would want to, uh, I trust, drink in and of itself. It is yucky. It, it bites. It stings. But, of course, it is uh, necessary uh, for the recipe. So, again, another ingredient, yucky, 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 but necessary. And so we need to bring all this together. Can you do that a little bit for me too, Krista? Just, you just be stirring. We need to get that stirred real good, okay? So, again, uh, Romans 8, 28. God has the ability to cause all things, the good and the yucky things, uh, he has the ability, sort of as the master chef, to blend those things together in our lives uh, to produce something good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His uh, purpose. So we want to get this stirred really, 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 really good, and then we want to put it in our pan. Uh, just so you'll know, before we... Uh, Started the uh, service. We already remember, uh, I think you set the oven to 350, right? 350, right? Okay. So that's set. We need to pan the pan. Pan the pan. I'll pan the pan. Woo. Want me to pan your nose? No. no? Okay. Won't do that. Uh, and then we're going to put this in there. Whoa. Looking good, Chris. Oh, looking good. Looking good. Looking good. Looking good. Looking good. Okay. Now, we have a uh, 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 special oven that Joseph and Malia gave us. It's, a, it's also a backloader. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this uh, uh, thing in. Let's see. Uh, put it in there. And we're going to let that thing uh, cook away.
Now, as we're letting the cake uh, bake, and hopefully me and Krista did a good job, and in just a moment we're going to have us a, a delicious cake uh, to show how God, uh, as an illustration, is able to blend all things to work together for our good. But let's just think of a few uh, Bible characters. And, uh, and as we're walking through these, think about your own life, what you're going through right now, whatever the adversity or difficulty is, wherever you're perplexed and you're uh, questioning God. Uh, and uh, I'll just have to run through each of these uh, uh, quickly. Won't be any type of deep biblical ep- uh, uh, exposition, but uh, most of you know the story of these uh, Bible characters. I think of Joseph. Uh, you remember Joseph when he was 17 years of age. Uh, came that close to being killed by his brothers who were jealous of him. And instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And you remember Joseph ended up in uh, Egypt as a slave in Potiphar's home. This was one of the captains in uh, Pharaoh's uh, army. And although he was the model servant, uh, a servant that did all of his duties in perfect integrity and enthusiasm to the best of his ability. You remember uh, Pharaoh's wife uh, became very attracted to Joseph. She tried to seduce Joseph to have sexual relationships with her. He resisted that. He said, how could I ever do such a great great evil like this against my God, not to mention uh, to violate your husband's trust? And you remember, he literally fled uh, literally ran from the scene, and that's exactly how we should all respond to temptation. We not fight with it, just just flee, uh, flee from it. And you remember she falsely accused him of, uh, of raping her, and as a result of that great false accusation, injustice, he was thrown into prison. And from the time that Joseph was uh, sold into slavery at 17 till that time that he was elevated to, we could call, say it, the prime minister of Uh, Egypt by Pharaoh as a result of interpreting Pharaoh's dream, 13 long years of suffering. 13 long, most of those years spent in an Egyptian prison. The Psalm tells us that his feet literally became bruised uh, by the uh, shackles, by the chains that he had to wear uh, continually around his feet that he was literally put into an iron uh, collar. Uh, And he lived that like that way in that that darkness of that cell for years and years. And and we we have to imagine the perplexity he went through. I mean, does God, is is God still there? Uh, Does God still love me? Remember, uh, before he was sold into slavery, God had given him a wonderful vision that he would be elevated to a place of leadership where even his father and his brothers would bow down to him. And uh, he probably thought, well, Lord, this is an interesting path to, uh, to leadership that you've uh, taken me. And so uh, knowing the frailty of our humanity, he had to have struggled. He had to have wondered why when he just, uh, I like to call it, became just lost in the maze of God's providence, not being able to make a rhyme or a reason out of what was happening, not seeing any plot in it. Actually, being, everything seeming to go contrary to what God has promised. But, but Krista, would you, would you check? Is the cake finished yet? Uh, no. No, it's not finished. So what does Joseph need to do? He needs to keep hanging on by faith because if he lets God finish the cake, right? Yes. It's going to be a good cake. It's going to be a good cake. And, of course, we know that Joseph did that, and you know the story. 
how God brought him out of prison, elevated him as prime minister. Uh, Joseph was able to save the land from famine. Also, his own family, uh, which would eventually usher in uh, the Messiah. And then uh, Joseph was able to make one of the greatest statements in faith, of faith found in the entire Bible. Uh, you remember he turned to his brothers in that last chapter in the book of Genesis, and he says, what you did to me, what you did to me, you meant it for evil. But he didn't stop there. And he didn't say that in bitterness. He said, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result, this, the preserving, the saving of many lives, not only Joseph's life, but his brother's lives, the very ones who had tried to take him out in order to preserve uh, God's uh, chosen uh, family that eventually would become his chosen nation that would usher in uh, the Messiah. So uh, we learn from Joseph. Again, if you put your trust in God, wait on him, he end up will make a very, very good cake. And then I think of uh, Job. You all know the story of Job. Uh, you know how uh, God said he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth that feared God, that shunned evil. God had blessed him in every way. Um, and God actually initiated the contest between him and Satan. He, he said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, a, a righteous man that, that fears me above all others. And you remember, the devil said, hey, you've just bought Job. The only reason he fears you, the only reason he honors you, is because all the blessings you give him. You let me touch his life. You let me bring adversity. You let me being, bring pain into his life, and he'll curse you. And God said, all right. But of course, he set limitations. Devil can't do anything apart from God's permission. And of course, he couldn't take Job's life. But you know the horrific suffering he experienced. He lost all 10 of his children at one moment in a storm. 10 of his children. He lost every bit of his wealth. Went into total, absolute bankruptcy, having nothing lost his health with those boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And, and Job struggled. I mean, Job didn't, he went beyond questioning whether or not God had abandoned him or not. He went as far to say, it's not that you've abandoned me, you've made me your target. You've made me your child who fears you, your enemy. And, and he could not understand why this adversity is coming. He could not understand why God had allowed such pain upon his life. Then he had those three comforters who kept basically telling him, Job, you're in this position because of your own sin or your lack of faith. Job knew that he was a man of integrity. Uh, and so Job, rather than thinking the problem was him, actually blamed God. God, are you really just? Why have you, have you targeted did me? Chris, is the cake finished? Uh, mm, mm. She's checking. I don't know. I don't think so. It's not ready yet. And, uh, and, and Job uh, had to wait on God. And the wonderful thing about Job, although he struggled, he, he never 
abandon his faith. Remember, he made that great statement, though he uh, slay me, I will put my trust in him. And then was God faithful in the end to produce, in the illustration, a good cake? Yes. You remember when you come to the end of the story, Job makes this incredible statement. He said, before the adversity, before the suffering, I knew a lot about you by the hearing of the ear. I had a lot of head knowledge about God, but now my eyes have seen him. There was an intimacy that was developed with God through the adversity that he never knew before. And then the scripture tells us that God blessed his latter years even more than his earlier years. He gave him 10 more children, and he actually doubled his wealth in his latter years and uh, blessed him in a wonderful way. And I believe as we saw last week, we saw in James 5, I think it was 11, that uh, when we consider Job and, uh, and look at the outcome of the story, the outcome What is our conclusion? That God is full of compassion and that God is merciful. And then I think of uh, uh, Naomi. Remember, Naomi uh, lost her husband, uh, lost both of her sons uh, in a foreign land as uh, it was a time of famine. They had left their hometown of Bethlehem to try uh, to do better for themselves in Moab. She returns to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and you remember she's coming back into Bethlehem, and she's been gone apparently for, uh, for some years. Uh, the townspeople recognize this is Naomi returning, and they begin to come out of their homes to greet her, to welcome her back. And Naomi looks at them, and, she, and in anger, she says, you do not call me Naomi anymore. Naomi meaning in the Hebrew, pleasant one. He says, you don't call me Naomi no more. You call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. And she said, you call me bitter because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. This was a woman that had been overcome with her grief. Just like often we get overcome in grief and in adversity and in trial. And we, and, we, and we do struggle with disappointment with God, delusion. And if we're honest, we get angry with God and we can get bitter with God, thinking that he does not care, that he is not fair. But Chrissy, is the cake finished yet? Which one? This one right here that we're making. No, it's not yeah. finished yet. And so <laughs> Ruth, I mean, Naomi, hold on. And what happened? What happened? Here walks in tall dark, handsome, and filthy rich Boaz, who falls in love with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, marries her, and as a result of that marriage relationship, now Naomi is living, living on easy street the rest of her life, but even more important than all of that, Ruth and Boaz give birth to what? Obed. Who did Obed give birth to? Jesse. Remember who Jesse was, the father of David. And so you see the messianic line uh, continuing through this union. So God used a lot of yucky things, mixed them with the good, blended them together, but in the end produced a very, very good cake. Uh, Just a couple more. I I think of uh, Lazarus' death. Uh, You remember Lazarus becomes sick. He asked the two sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus is about two days away, and they send him a message, and the message was simply, the one that you love, Lazarus, the one that you love 
is sick. Jesus had a very special, unique relationship with this family, spent much time in their home. Think about this. They had seen Jesus heal hundreds and hundreds of people that he really had no relationship with. But now it's one of his choicest servants, one of those that he's closest to than anyone else on planet Earth during his earth, and he's sick. And knowing Jesus loves him, they're confident when Jesus gets this message, he will come. And it's, it, this is their prayer, just like we in our desperation. And, and, and whether it's with a loved one or an adversity or a crisis like we're going right now, we, 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 we cry out to God, God, help, come. You're the only one that can deliver in this situation. We're totally dependent upon you. We're, we're desperate for you. And that was the cry of these brothers. And then here's the puzzling thing. Jesus gets the message, and then this is what the Scripture says. It says, Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and her sister, and therefore... Jesus remained there two more days. Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and her sister Mary. Therefore, he stayed there two more days. And those sisters struggled with the delay. Just like when we get in a desperate situation, we struggle when God delays, when God does not act immediately, when God does not act as we would have expected Him to act, as God doesn't intervene on the timetable we would have hoped that He would have intervened, and we can be, and if we're not careful, we can mistake His delays as being denials. And then you remember when Jesus finally did show up, Mary and Martha basically both had the same question, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. They were struggling with the perplexity of his delay in his interaction. And of course, you remember, he challenged them. He said, I'm the resurrection of life. Who believes in me, though he should be dead, he shall live. Do you believe this? If you do, you will see the glory of God. Jesus was moved by their grief, although he knew what he was about to do, and he wept with the sisters as he saw their hurting hearts. He asked them to take him to the grave. And he tells them to remove the stone. And you remember Martha said, wait a minute, Lord. She said, that's going to offend many because he's been in the grave, that tomb, four days, and the body's going to stink. Now, let's just be very, very honest. There are a lot of things that Jesus asks us to do. There's a lot of experiences that we have in life. And we bottom line, if we're totally honest, say, say, we're saying, God, that stinks. What you're allowing me to go through stinks. What you may be asking me to do through this time, by maintaining my faith, my trust in you, by obeying you in the midst of the trouble. It stinks. I don't understand. And then Jesus basically told, hey, didn't I say if you believe me, you'll see my glory? Well, Krista, look, I don't think that cake is finished yet. No. no, it's not finished yet. But when it was finished, was it a good cake? Yes. Because they moved that stone, and Jesus said what? Lazarus, come forth. And he raised their brother 
from the dead as a sign of what he would do for all who would put their faith in him from that time going forward. And uh, just a beautiful example of God's saving grace when we turn to him in faith. And then one last one. Uh, well, I think that's about all the time we have. That, let me ask you this, because I think the cake just needs just still a little more time. We've looked at Joseph and Job, Naomi. Uh, we've looked at Lazarus. Uh, how about you? How about you? What are you going through right now? What difficulty, what pain, what perplexity, what's yucky about your life right now? What stinks about your life right now? That in your pain, in your perplexity, you're struggling if you are totally honest with what in the world God's doing. You're struggling. Does, does God love me? I mean, does he really care? Well, if he really cares, why, why isn't he doing anything? Why, why does it seem that he's just sitting on his hands in heaven and doing nothing while he watches me suffer like this? And again, what we need to realize is God is the master chef. Only God knows what needs to go in the recipe for each person's life. Because he has a unique plan and purpose for you. So although he will allow many things that are yucky, that are painful, that stink, come into your life, he only does so because those things are necessary. He's going to use those things as he did in the characters we just mentioned and virtually every other character in the Bible, to blend those things together, to strengthen your faith, to take you deeper into an intimacy with him, and to display his glory in the end like he did with Lazarus. So the admonition to you today is, like we mentioned last week, don't give up too quick on God. Just like we said, don't you know, as God's writing your life story, don't close the book on God too soon. Right now you may be lost, thinking there's no rhyme and reason in your story. There's no real plot. Nothing makes sense. But turn to God. Put your faith in Him. Persevere in obedience one step at a time. And we have the guarantee when we get to that last chapter, when we get to the end of your life story, the outcome will be good. We will conclude that, yes, God is compassionate, that He's merciful, and that by His power and might, He accomplished His plan and purposes in and through your life. So again, I encourage you, God has the ability, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter, again, how yucky, how painful it is, to blend it all together. And he's at work. Believe me, he's at work. Whether you can see him or not, God's at work. 
And he's at work to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that any one of us could ask or think or pray. And then when we come to the end, he makes a good cake. I think it's finished now. Let's open this thing up. Yeah. There you go. God makes a great cake. Notice, God had the ability not just to bake the cake, but it came out iced. It came out with the message, God makes a great cake. And uh, that's what God does in your life and in my life. Uh, if we will allow Him uh, to uh, finish uh, what He's doing in our lives. Again, uh, so many examples. Uh, He's the artist, he's the potter, we're the canvas, he's the clay, he's the master chef, we're the cake, blending all things together for our good, and, uh, and, and we can trust him. And so I, I pray this message has um, uh, encouraged you today. Uh, if you're a believer, it's an admonition to persevere in your faith, knowing you can count on God to be faithful to cause all things to work together for your good and His greater glory, and for you to give God, not, not to resist God, but to give God the freedom to arrange the all things of your life in the way that He deems best. And even though you may be struggling on an emotional level, that you in everything would give thanks to Him. As James says, count it all joy, not that you'll feel joy, but count it joy, knowing what? knowing that the testing of your faith, everything we've been talking about, produces something. It produces perseverance, per perseverance of faith. And he says, let that perseverance have its perfect work. For what reason? That in the end, you might become complete and entire, lacking in nothing, allowing God to make out of your life a great cake that will be delicious and will ultimately resound to His honor and His glory. If you're an unbeliever, Hear me. Every believer living in a, this fallen world has God's ironclad guarantee that He will not allow anything to touch our lives that ultimately won't work for our good and His greater glory. You do not have that guarantee. And that's why this world is such a frightening place without trust and faith in God. But I want you to know God loves you. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins, for the penalty of your sins, to forgive you of your sins. And He rose again to give you new life. And so when a national crisis comes like we're in right now, where you're struck with fear, you, you may be even have the disease, you may uh, be suffering uh, financial... God allows that to happen in your life to get your attention. That in your pain, you will see your need for God. And you will turn to God to put your faith and your trust in Him. So, believers, persevere in your faith, knowing God's at work cause all things to work for your good and His greater glory. If you're watching and you're an unbeliever, God loves you. And He's using the adversity, the pain in your life, even this national crisis, to get your attention. 
He's wanting to get our nation's attention, this world's attention, to see our desperate need for Him to be delivered from the consequences of sin, to know forgiveness, and to be reconciled to God, to where you too can have that assurance that although we live in a frightening world and and these painful things, these yucky things are inescapable, you too then will have the guarantee that God won't allow anything to touch your life, that He ultimately can't work for your good, to make you more like Jesus, and to work for God's ultimate glory. Pray with me, and then Andy's going to come, and we're going to end with a very appropriate song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And I hope that you've seen that today, God's love for you, and the willingness to take even the good with the yucky, blend it all together for your spiritual benefit, to draw you into deeper depths of intimacy with God, in that intimacy to develop greater Christ-likeness, to work for His glory. Father, uh, a very uh, simple illustration, but I trust a meaningful illustration for all who are watching, uh, that you do cause all things to work together for the good of your people who love you and are called according to your purpose, for you foreknew them to be predestined to become conformed to the image of your Son. So, Lord, yes, you use the very effects of living in a fallen world uh, to shape and transform our lives, uh, to help us see our total, utter, absolute dependence upon you, and in that dependence to create our, in our hearts a desperation for you, as you did in Joseph's life, as you did in Job's life, as you did in Naomi's life, as you did in Mary and Martha's uh, life. And Lord, that desperation should uh, drive us uh, to you and being driven to you to develop and uh, experience an intimacy with you that we never knew before. In that intimacy to see you transforming us from the inside out, uh, making us more and more like Jesus, that through our lives, uh, Jesus would be put on display before a lost world, even in the days in which we live, even in the midst of this national uh, crisis, and to uh, realize that in the end, uh, the final outcome will resound to the praise and glory of your grace and the good of your people. And Lord, for those who may be watching that do not know you, uh, Lord, in their fear, in their struggle, uh, let that pain drive them to you, uh, to see your reality, to see your love for them, your goodness and mercy, that they would put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, continue to give us every protection provision as we move forward through this crisis and as your people uh, give us the grace and empowerment uh, in these days to demonstrate our faith to a lost world as we find rest uh, and confidence through faith that you are ultimately in control, yes, causing all to work for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
loves me, oh how he loves you. 